So a man went to see his doctor for his annual exam. And when the doctor had finished the man's exam, he asked him, is there anything else that you would like to discuss today? And the man said, well, actually, yeah, it's my wife. I think she's losing her hearing, and she refuses to go to the doctor to get her hearing checked. So the doctor, you know, thinks to himself for a minute, and he says, okay, I think I have an idea for you. The next time that you're in the room with your wife and she can't see you, ask her a question and see if she responds. And then see how close you have to get to her before she responds. And let me know how that goes. So the man goes home and he opens the door to his great room. It's one of those open concept uh, homes, you know big great room, and on the far end is his wife, all the way in the kitchen, and she's at the counter, busy preparing dinner, and she has her back to him, and he's like, perfect. So he says, what's for dinner tonight, honey? And of course, there's no response. So he takes a few steps closer. What's for dinner tonight, honey? And there's no answer, of course. And so he takes a few steps closer and says, what's for dinner tonight, honey? And there's no response. She's just busy chopping. So he gets right up behind his wife and says in a nice, strong voice, what's for dinner tonight, honey? And she turns around and looks at him face to face and says, for the fourth time, beef stew. All right, some of you recognize that joke. It's from Alpha. Who here has taken the Alpha course here at Free Christian Church? Yeah, we love it here, don't we? So my husband and I uh, love the Alpha course too. That's actually how we met. So I was leading worship, and he was a guest. And at the end of the course, he wrote a poem, which was beautiful. I was intrigued, and the rest is history, so you might say. Yeah, but we've been a part of Free Christian Church for over a decade now, and we love you, and we've been praying that we'll continue on in a spirit of unity through the Holy Spirit. So, obviously, the man in the joke that I just shared had a hearing issue. And I shared that joke because, as we just read in our passage today, it begins with this idea of a people who are having trouble understanding. And some Bible translations say that they have actually gone dull in their hearing. It's not that they're deaf. They can hear, but something has come up with their ability to understand, and it's, and it's being affected in this adverse way. And in fact, the meaning of this word might be closer to the idea that this people has become apathetic. They've become lazy. I think this may be even more dangerous than if they had just been completely impaired because they might actually be fooled into thinking that they can actually understand just fine when in fact that is not the case. They have a hindrance. So the author of Hebrews is making the point that this people no longer even try. They're not even putting out effort to understand. But it implies that at once they had been able to hear and understand, but now there had been some kind of change. 
Something happened along the way that has stunted and slowed their progress and their spiritual growth. So the author also calls them out on another issue. It's not just their lack of effort to understand, but the nature of what they are ingesting. The author says, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. And it's almost as if the author is saying, hey, you're all like little babies. You're all like gums and no teeth, right? And if you've ever attended maybe a sporting event, baseball, football are some good examples, you might recognize some of those common jeers, right? Hey, you big sissies, go home, or go home to mama, you big babies. And I can't help but feel like the author may be making similar jeers at this people and their spiritual state. There's also some sense of expectation here for this people to be much further along than they actually are. Maybe they're of a certain human age, or maybe they've logged enough hours in terms of their religious education, and now there's just this expectation of them that they really should be further along than they are, and not just milk drinkers. And maybe they're like those people that have, remember that infamous milk mustache, (laughs) right, all those commercials? They're like those that maybe have their head stuck in their Bible, and then they stick their face up, and they've got this infamous milk mustache. It's like, you've been drinking milk. And there's nothing wrong with milk if you're a, a young Christian. But as we mature, we need to seek more substantial um, food. So we must ask, what about us? What could be said of us? What are we doing in terms of our spiritual growth? And so we're headlong into our series on Hebrews, and this week's topic is growth. And we're asking the question, how do we mature on the journey? And there are three key areas that I'd like us to look at today. First, as we mature, we are to build on a foundation of grace. Second, we are to apply knowledge. And lastly, we are to teach others. So let's pray before we dig in any further. Lord, I thank you for this, um, this calling out of sorts, this waking up that says, hey, where are, where are we in terms of our, our effort, our spiritual growth? Lord, we know it's not our human effort, our human striving, but it's your work in us. And so I just invite you, Holy Spirit, to teach us, teach us your word in a deeper way. Help us to grow closer to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So a key step in any building project, as any master builder will tell you, is first you must start with a solid foundation. And here in Hebrews, the author is not telling his audience to abandon the basics when they say not laying again a foundation. They're not telling them to forget those fundamental teachings there. What the author is saying here is that this people is to progress. They are to go on. And no master builder is going to lay down another foundation and then another foundation over and over again. That would be a complete waste of resources, time, money, especially in this case where the first foundation is on Jesus Christ. And he is already a very sure foundation. There's no need to tear that down. That's what the author is telling us here. In fact, they cite a few key teachings that are good foundational teachings. And these came right out of the Jewish practices. So repentance from acts that lead to death, 
faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. The Jews already had the solid foundation laid out for them in the Jewish teachings and in the Old Testament, and now it was time for them to move on to the upper floors, to the grace expressed through Jesus Christ, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, especially love. The Jewish foundational teachings point us ultimately to God's grace. And without God's grace, as shown throughout history, we would not have the revelation of his plan of redemption. And so from the promise to Abraham to the arrival of the Messiah in Jesus Christ, God's plan to redeem humankind is a testimony to his grace. And it's on this foundation of grace that we must build Romans 3, 23 through 24 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So there's no merit of our own that could ever justify us before God, and there's nothing that we can do to try to manipulate God into doing this for us. Jesus willingly laid down his life on the cross. That's because our justification comes through God's grace alone. And when we start from this foundation of grace, we will naturally uh, build on that foundation within those boundaries, those barriers, and that affects the entire building as it grows up into grace. So I was recently um, on a tour, kind of a sightseeing tour of sorts on the North Shore. We were up in the Ipswich area, and we were stopped at a red light, and I looked over, and I saw this house And it almost appeared to be floating on the ground. Um, And it was lifted up on jacks. They had jacked up the house and they had excavated the old foundation because it was one of these really old historical homes. If they had tried to do their reno and not uh, put in a new foundation, they were getting ready to lay a whole new foundation. If they had not excavated that and put in this new foundation, they ran the risk of the entire building falling down. And so it was just an amazing sight to see. Uh, But in our case, the foundation that we are building on is not like that shaky foundation, that crumbly foundation of that old historical home. But the foundation of God's grace is a sure foundation. Christ is our cornerstone. And as we mature, we need to build on that sure foundation of God's grace. And building on grace naturally means that we continue to grow in grace Growing in grace means that we trust in God's plan as he leads us into spiritual maturity. And this means over time, even as we grow older in human years, that we are becoming more and more examples of God's great grace and more and more like Christ. And so I think if you are looking for a good example of this, I might point you to our senior adults and our senior adult ministry, especially our senior link that happens every Friday morning on Zoom. I was um, fortunate to be a part of this group for a little over a year before being called to my current role as youth pastor. And I am just so grateful for the wisdom that they poured into me and that they pour into our church community. Great examples of growing in spiritual maturity for us. So trusting God to build us into maturity on this foundation of grace also means that we are open to admitting that we are growing older, we are maturing, and that we're open to his plans for our lives no matter what may come. 
Some of us, as we are growing older, may not want to admit that we are mere mortals. But believers who have put their faith in Jesus will share in his victory over sin and over death. And there is actually great beauty in the one who acknowledges their maturity and does not try to disguise it or try to hide it. I love when I hear of someone who has decided to go gray. They have chosen to embrace their mortality and their maturity. And that alone takes a healthy measure of grace. And so when we build on a foundation of grace, we choose to embrace God's plans and we move from a place of denial to a place of acceptance. We embrace the change, this growth from elementary beginnings onward to maturity. The second area I'd like us to consider this morning is the need to apply knowledge. And in Hebrews, we read about the need for discernment to be able to distinguish between good and evil. And so in order to learn discernment, we first must acquire knowledge. We have to learn what is good and what is evil if we're going to discern between them, if we're going to apply this learned knowledge. So how do we obtain this kind of knowledge? It's not from human ways of thinking. True knowledge and wisdom come from God and God alone. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding, Proverbs 2, 6. And as we soak in the word of God, we gain knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. And it's not just um, knowledge, a head knowledge about God's grace, but it's a heart knowledge. It's this knowledge of grace that's not only foundational, but experiential as well. It's the grace of God that we have experienced firsthand and that God will continue to pour out on us as we continue to grow in maturity. And so we don't just take in the word and make some mental assent toward knowing about God, but we allow his word to sink deep into our hearts and cause a heart change, where knowing him in a real and personal way becomes grafted into the very essence of who we are. We apply knowledge of God to our hearts. It changes us, it spurs us onward to spiritual maturity in a very deep way. As the love of God is poured into our hearts, we are changed. The love of God becomes manifest in us and through us as we move onward toward greater spiritual maturity. And I think of today's day and age of technology, fast-paced information sharing, It's easy to obtain knowledge and information. We can Google this. We can Google that. We can learn facts. We can become full of a kind of head knowledge, full of a knowing, but not necessarily one that's based on true true wisdom. We may be attracted to the idea of knowing facts, attracted to information in a similar way that pigs may be attracted to the mud, right? Pigs love to go to mud puddle and they roll around. It's part of who they are. Maybe we roll around in information. Maybe we expose ourselves to a variety of sources, regardless of content and regardless of if it is information that is worth applying to our hearts. And if we are to mature in the faith, if we are to be equipped to do the work of discernment, and if we are to experience a heart transformation, 
We need to apply knowledge, the right kind of knowledge, and the kind that is found in God's holy word. And lastly, as we mature, we are to teach others. It's a sign of maturity if we can share our faith and knowledge with others. And you know, honestly, as I've been journeying along um, in my own faith um, these past few years, this key verse about being a teacher by now had really been um, on my mind quite a bit. God was nudging me, and here we are. And so if God is speaking to you, and I, I mean this as an encouragement, if God is speaking to you about something, if you're sensing his nudge, his prompting, I encourage you to follow through on that because he loves you and he has good plans for you. And so sometimes the best way to ingrain a particular concept in our minds and hearts is to actually teach it to others. When we need to know a topic enough to teach it, it shows that we have mastery over that subject, at least to the extent of whatever we're teaching on. Teaching involves preparation, it involves research into whatever topic that we're going to be teaching on, and then in terms of our spiritual practices, we might have to prepare um, our own hearts. We might have to ask God to prepare our hearts, and so we pray. Maybe we need to pray for the people that we're going to be teaching. These are all wonderful examples of growing in spiritual maturity as we consider others before ourselves. So part of what happens when we teach others is that we also produce fruit, and this can come in the form of other disciples. We know that a mature tree produces fruit. So too, as mature believers, we produce followers of Jesus. This is God's work through us. It's not something that we do in our own power, but it's by the power of God, his Holy Spirit working in and through us. And in Psalm 1, we read that the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. There may be people that we've actually shared our faith with, and maybe we've begun to disciple them, to teach them in the ways of God. That's a kind of fruit. Fruit might also be seen as new growth in our church, not just in terms of numbers of people on our rosters, but in terms of the depth of our relationships uh, and an increasing number of individuals growing deeper in their own faith. I think about our small groups and how we are all growing and maturing together as groups. We're making the journey together as we traverse very, various topics and biblical texts. We are learning by seeing each other's examples, right? Some people don't have to say a word out of their mouth. You can just watch how they open the door for somebody or say hello, and we learn what it's like to be more like Christ. Some people teach in very practical ways through literally expounding upon particular scripture passages. Others may teach us by asking tough questions. As a result of all this teaching, we may, we may see the growth in particular people in our small groups, and that alone, when you see someone else's progress, that alone can sometimes encourage us in our own spiritual journey, and, our, and it can, can spur us onward in our own growth towards spiritual maturity. Growth may be in the way that we show our love toward one another, we share our possessions, we care for one another in practical ways, as well as spiritually, we pray for one another, we share a good word at just the right time, right? 
And generally, we encourage each other along our journey. And so I feel like I would be remiss if at this point I didn't include like a little disclaimer about the idea of growth. Because growth naturally means change, and change can be uncomfortable. We get used to being who we are. A lot of us, were creatures of habit. And sometimes the process of growing and changing can even seem scary. It might challenge our perceptions of ourselves and our own realities. But change is important. And change, I think change is a natural part of God's design for his creation. So I, I don't think we have to look much further than, than the beautiful um, colors of the fall that we are experiencing in New England right now. And this is all part of God's design. It's a part of change. Um, we just went for a hike, the youth and I, last, and our wonderful youth leaders, um, last weekend. And we were remarking at just how imaginative God is to have created trees, the beautiful color of green, and then um, to I'll pretty much program them, right, to change color at this specific time of the year, and then to turn into these amazing colors. We have these brilliant yellows and bright reds, and uh, we were actually even observing, you know, along the trail path there that there were these soft pinks because the red leaves had fallen face down on the trail, and, and they, were, they looked like soft pink. It was beautiful. Who knew that change could be so beautiful? Change is a natural part of God's design. Consider, too, the gardens. Yeah, some of you maybe just started gardening this year. Yeah, Um, and some of you are experts, so thank you for your advice to all of us who are just beginning. But remember those seeds that you planted back in the spring, and then they grew up through the soil, and then they became a seedling, and then they grew up more, and maybe even now um, they are producing a harvest for you. Hopefully you remember to water them, and they grew up, and they grew deep roots and beautiful leaves to absorb the nutrients that they needed to absorb. Growth and change are a natural part of God's design for his creation. We don't need to be afraid of change, especially when God is our teacher. So how can we apply the idea of growth practically speaking? Well, like I said, it's not wrong to drink milk, especially if you're young in the faith. But watch out, us milk drinkers who should be feasters by now, right? I think it's a good thing we have social distancing in place and we have our masks. Our milk mustaches are safe, at least for a little while longer, but eventually the masks will come off. Let's spur one another on to spiritual maturity, especially those of us who really ought to be teaching by now, as our author puts it today. Maybe we have been sensing a call to teach in one capacity or another. It might be time for that next step. Maybe accepting the invitation to teach at your small group or Sunday school once our sessions resume or helping with youth ministry. Maybe it's teaching outside of our church walls. You know that our gifts that God gives to us um, don't stop operating just because we are outside of the church walls. It's a beautiful way to serve and teach. Maybe it's taking a step to share your faith with your neighbor or teach them how to read the Bible. Maybe it's even just giving them a Bible, right? You never know when it will be the first time that someone's ever held a Bible. Don't don't ever take that for granted. 
Another practical application for us regarding growth is to practice discernment. Let's share our struggles with each other and talk it out. You know, is this good? Is this evil? And let's encourage each other to do that. And as we work it out, let's remember God's grace. It's his spirit at work. But we must not be lazy. In order to truly practice discernment, we need knowledge of the word of God. We must do our part to open the Bible, allow God to illuminate his word through his Holy Spirit, and to lead us into knowledge of truth. We have to first learn the truth, and then we can apply it. And sometimes it's as simple as starting a new habit. There are some really great Bible reading um, apps out there. I would say choose one and use it. There's a lot of plans, too, if you're not into um, apps. There's Bible in a year. Uh, Bible four times in a year. Choose your speed and go for it. But let's not just read it. Let's apply it to our hearts and our lives. And lastly... We can pray for God to show us how we may have become dull in our own hearing of God's word and of his truth. Maybe we have lost a sense of motivation. Maybe we are just feeling lazy. It may be that we need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit, a fresh revelation of God's love and of his grace. I can think of no greater encouragement than the joy of following Jesus. Not just knowing about him, but truly knowing him. It may be that our relationship with Christ is not what it once was, and we may need to return to our first love. When uh, love is new and love is fresh, even the softest whisper from our lover can be easily discerned. May God redeem our ability to receive his truth and his love and to share that love with others. And so in conclusion, as we go about the journey of growing up into spiritual maturity, let us build on the foundation of grace, let us apply knowledge, and teach others. And may love finish its good work in us as God helps us become the people that he created us to be, made in his image, every one of us. May we hear the word of God clearly and let it move from our heads into our hearts and let us not be just hearers of his word, but doers of his word as we grow into maturity in Christ. And to God be the glory. Amen.